We're going to look this morning at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Uh, This is the second Sunday in Advent, and um, you may be thinking, you know, what in the world does John the Baptist have to do with uh, anything about uh, Jesus' coming? Well, um, uh, it has, he has uh, everything to do with that, and we're going to unpack that a little bit uh, this morning. And one of the things that I thought about at the early service and then here at 1030 is we just sang a song where we said our souls in stillness wait. And what that made me think of, well, that's not many of us this morning, is it? (laughs) Not a lot of stillness uh, in uh, the lives, hearts, attitudes, uh, minds of many of us this morning, right? Um, And so I I think it is, uh, that's why this is such a great a text for us to kind of unpack and, and uh, think about this morning. Uh, John the Baptist is somebody who doesn't really fit. So uh, that's a good thing for us to, to, to be reminded of this morning. So before I read the text, let me pray. Um, join me now in praying. Lord, we come to you and we confess that we are distracted, tired, angry, upset, disappointed, um, harried, um, Concerned, worried, anxious, distracted. And for many of us, we feel the, the anxiety or the fear or um, the bitterness or the uh, hopelessness. And so uh, as a result of that, Lord, rather than repent and turn to you, we distract ourselves. And so uh, no stillness for us in distraction. That's a mercy. Thank you. And I pray today that you would help us find our rest, uh, not in uh, temporary um, uh, man-made things, but uh, in you, in your spirit, in your gospel, and in your work in us. So help us to do that today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12, text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is... The word of God, we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair. And a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not, un- I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn 
with unquenchable fire. So as you read that text, that's quite a Christmas text, quite a, an Advent text, right? And I, one of the things um, many, uh, many commentators believe that when he said this particularly, um, that there's one who's coming after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he was pointing at Jesus in the crowd. So just imagine this morning, you know, you came in the church, you went out to the coffee cart, you get your coffee, you talk to your friend, you came in and John the Baptist says, that guy right there sitting next to you drinking his coffee, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would seem pretty ludicrous, right? Well, that's, it seemed ludicrous to these people too. You see, one of the things that I love about John the Baptist is not just because he's, he's quirky or an eccentric or weird or anything like that, he's, he is all of those things. But the, the fact is, he makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, he makes us uncomfortable. To be able to sing on Christmas Day, uh, comfort and joy, uh, we have to find where true comfort is found, Right? Um, for years, we, uh, even from the time when our kids were little, we have a advent calendar in our house that is, it's the soft plushy kind with Velcro and, and there's a little pocket for each day. And as we get closer to Christmas, you pull one of the things out. one day, it's a star, one day, it's a shepherd, one day, it's a sheep, whatever, till you get to the end, which is the baby Jesus and you stick him on there. Um, we, you know, I know there are a lot of those advent calendars out there where you get a piece of candy every day. We had three kids, and so that would have required us to have three calendars because our preparation for advent would have been a fist fight otherwise oh, over, over the, the candy. So that wasn't really a, a good idea. So we got the plush kind, but there was a fight then over who got to stick whichever one of those things was up there. So, uh, which honestly, that's great preparation for advent because you know you need a savior when you're duking it out over who puts the baby Jesus on the calendar, right? So, so, uh, one of the, one of the things that I think is pretty profound about Advent is you don't, you don't see John the Baptist on any Advent calendars, not many. Uh, in the liturgy of the church, actually, uh, in many churches, he's given two weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we could handle him for two weeks. So we're, we're just going to have him for one week because he makes us uncomfortable. He doesn't fit. You know, he's like uh, you're preparing your Christmas list of the people you're going to invite to your house and that you're going to have over for dinner. And you've got the crazy uncle who dresses weird, who talks weird, who seems angry and makes everybody uncomfortable. You've already gotten his Christmas card. Merry Christmas, brood of vipers. And so you're like, we're not going to invite that guy. <laughs> You know, let's uh, let's take a break on that one. I don't really he makes, you know, if, if we, we need some peace, some comfort and some low key uh, rest here. And this guy is disruptive and stirring things up and he makes me uncomfortable. And that's not what Christmas is for. Well, you're right. It's not. We're not at Christmas. We're in Advent. And so what we do at Advent is we prepare ourselves for real joy, the coming of our Savior, right? So John the Baptist is a great, is a great figure for that. Scott, go ahead, go ahead and put my, 
my, my notes up there because you see in many ways, John the Baptist is the quintessential Advent figure, right? Uh, John Calvin called him the lantern which stood in front of the Son of God, right? In other words, he's the one who comes. He's the one who prepares the way. He's the forerunner, right? He's the one who says to the people, the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is coming. Uh, the Son of God is, is about to arrive. And as a result of his proclamation, he wants us to prepare ourselves, right? Yeah, he wants us to be uh, prepared, now we read this, you know, he seems really angry, you know, you brood of vipers. He's going to cut you down, <laughs> throw you in the fire. And you're like, wow, you know, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus, very different because Jesus is like the soft advent figures. They're plush, soft, no, no hard edges. You know, no corners there to stick you with. And yet John the Baptist arrives on the scene disruptive, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, scaring us, not affirming everything about us, not, you know, uh, and, and Jesus is so warm and, 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 and welcoming. Well, he is. So is John the Baptist. But unless you think, unless you think John the Baptist is out of step with Jesus, let's look at, you know, Jesus says there in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Accept yourself. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's, yeah, sounds like John the Baptist. Later on in his ministry, some people come to Jesus and they're, they're having a struggle with, with these terrible tragedies that have happened. Uh, some uh, folks were making their offerings there in the temple and Pilate and his men came in and killed them and their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifice and a tower fell on a group of people and killed them. And, and the question is, you know, are these bigger sinners than, than other people? And Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all Likewise, perish. That's pretty direct. Unless you repent, you're all going to end up perishing. So we hear that and we think, well, you know, he was having a bad day or I don't, you know, that's whatever, you know. But the, the fact of the matter is. The reality is this thing called repentance, this this thing that John the Baptist is crying out about, this thing that Jesus cries out about, uh, is something that is uh, pretty pretty profound. And so, and, and and it seems like it's a big deal because if you don't have it, you don't do it. You're in trouble, right? So at Advent, we should take a spiritual inventory. I said that last week. We should take the time to look into our hearts, to ask God to look into our hearts, to ask our friends to help us look into our hearts and kind of see what needs to change about us. What what should be uh, 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 dealt with? What what are some things about us that uh, are are challenging or are things about us that uh, uh, kind of belie the fact that we actually say that we are we're followers of Christ. Now, we tend not to want to do this sort of thing because we tend to get things confused. You know, one of the values of the church calendar is uh, before every big celebration like Christmas or Easter, 
within that church calendar is a period of preparation. Uh, uh, in, at Easter, we have a period that's called Lent that lead, leads up to that. We confuse Lent with giving up uh, beer and chocolate, but the, the fact is what, what Lent really is is an opportunity for us as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the real life that's found there, we have an opportunity to look within ourselves, to look at the death that is in us and around us and repent of that. Well, the same thing is true of Advent, that what we have an opportunity as we look towards Jesus coming, we have an opportunity to, to repent, to, to ask questions, to, to, so that we can be prepared, fully prepared, as fully prepared as we can be, that when Jesus arrives, the, the joy that he brings, the reality, the proclamation that, that we will call him Jesus because he will save us from our sins, we have at least a little bit of an idea of what our sin is. So that we know that we have what we, we're not just, you know, making this thing up as we kind of go along here, right? Because, you know, one of the things, well, uh, yeah, so we should take a spiritual inventory. It's a good thing to do. Uh, and if, and if you don't want to do that, ask the people that live with you to do it for you. That'll be, yeah. You'll need a savior. So uh, often, uh, you see, one of the things that happens to us here at, at Advent and one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to focus our attention uh, upon deficits, unfulfilled desires. We tend to f- uh, f- uh, focus our attention upon longing, just, you know, uh, wanting for God, uh, God to do something. But, but there's more to it than that, right? Our, often we view Advent as a time of longing, of unfulfilled desires, and the hope that Jesus will... Come and make things right. If you're infertile, if you're in a broken relationship, uh, if you're underemployed or unemployed, if you're sick, what you want and what Advent appeals to you is a a time for us to... uh, uh, cry out to the Lord to come. But you see, there's that's only part of the story. Um... Advent holds space for our grief, certainly, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, and we 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 got a handle on that, but are also wielders of it. In other words, we 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 are wielders of the evil that's in the world, you know, because it's not just in the world; it's in us too. We contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. Now. When I first came across this, this is a quote, uh, part of a quote that's in the beginning of the bulletin. When I came across this quote a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that struck me about that is I am more than willing and ready to identify the evil out in the world, but my moments of unkindness, impatience, or selfishness are not evil. <laughs> They're just not. Yours is. <laughs> But mine's not. I have a right to my impatience. I have a right to my selfishness. I have a right to my unkindness. Right? So what, what needs to happen here, what, what, what John the Baptist alerts us to when he bursts onto the scene, what Jesus alerts us to when he bursts, bursts on the scene is not just that the issues are all out here and that the world needs to be fixed. I need to be changed. 
as much as the world needs to be renewed, as much as creation must be renewed, and it is essential that it, that it, that it, those things happen, I need a change. In fact, I don't need a change. I am dying for a change. And if God doesn't change me, I am dead. Right? So it's a pretty, pretty powerful thing for us to, to think about this morning. So this thing to repent, what is it? What does it mean? We, we kind of think sometimes we know what it means, but let's just take a second before we dig into what, what John the Baptist is doing here a, a, a little bit more. So repent means to change, really to turn around, right? To reorient myself in another direction, right? Um, and it's not simply to be sorry, which is, you know, Boy, didn't it just madden you when you confront somebody with their sin and they just shrug their shoulders and say, sorry. Oh, oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, then you'll have something to repent of, right? Right? We reorient ourselves towards the one who has come and who is coming. Right. So so one of the things that, that, that we need to see about this and, and probably as you're, you're thinking about this, you're thinking, I've heard this before. I've been in church all my life and I I know I can even tell you what the Greek word is for repentance. And and I know this, but there's a secret. You know what the secret is? That thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you didn't do it again this morning. Maybe you did something worse, right? Thought something worse, felt something worse, right? So what is this thing? Because the temptation that we often have about repentance is, and the thing that we'd like to think about it is, if I just, if I just stop doing this and start doing this, Everything will be okay. And there's plenty of stuff out here in our lives that you and I need to stop. Stop it. Don't do it again. But we'd be remiss to think that that is all that repentance is. Or that that is the sum of repentance. Because as we look at the message of John the Baptist, it, it challenges us to look a, a, a little bit uh, 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 different about this. So that when he says that we are reorienting ourselves towards the one who, whom his sandals he's not worthy to carry, we need to think a little bit more about what that means and how that might work in my life. So, so let's look a little bit here at what John's getting at. So the first thing you, you, that... that uh, uh, Matthew wants us to note us uh, uh, about John the Baptist is not just his message, but his affect. I mean, isn't it interesting? I mean, you can read a lot of in the Bible, you read a lot of stories in the Gospels, but you don't see very many descriptions of people's wardrobes or their diets. But we're told what John the Baptist is wearing. Yeah, some detail, right? He's It's not a camel jacket, you know. Uh, the kind you get on sale this time of year at Joseph A. Bank. It's a uh, 
it's a it's a rough, stiff garment with a leather belt, right? And and we we read that he eats honey and locusts. He lives out by the river, and he's out there yelling at people, preaching, wearing these weird clothes. Now that's that makes us uncomfortable. That puts us a little bit. You know, off kilter. Well, what, what, what do we get about that? Well, his austere way of life tells us that comfort, the temporary things that we pursue, uh, will not get us very far when we're judged. Right? So, so what he's saying to us is that he's, he's kind of single-minded and laser-focused upon the one who is to come and preparing people for the one who, who is to come. And so his comfort and his ease and these temporary things like, like reputation and pedigree and all of those sorts of things and the way you're perceived by people and all those things, they don't really matter to him. He's interested in one thing. So what's what's profound to me about this is, is that I spend the vast majority of my time giving myself over to making myself comfortable, to protecting myself, to that I spend the majority of my time trying to find a way to to uh, ease pain, avoid suffering, because in my world, right, suffering is not just hard, it's bad. Hard, hard is not the end of the world. Hard might actually be good. It's not necessarily bad, but I will spend a lot of time in my life avoiding the hard. Well, he's focused upon one thing, and that is prepare for the one who's coming. Because the one who's coming is coming as a judge, right? Right? You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty profound thing for us, right? When we, we sing these songs, come thou long expected Jesus. You know, we, we, we sing that prayer every week during Advent about come, come. Do you know who you're asking to come? It's not the Ricky Bobby little baby Jesus that we're talking about here. And if you, if you know what that is, you got a lot to repent of today. More than others. If you don't know what that is, good for you. You have less to repent of today. But the one we're asking to come is a judge. Well, he said that loudly. He's coming to judge. Joy to the world. He's coming to judge, right? And so, so the fact is, if what we, what we want to give ourselves to is, is these, these things that kind of avoid the hard and the difficult, if we, if we want to give ourselves to focusing all of our time and attention upon comfort and ease, reputation, uh, making other people think we're something that we're not, curating our lives online, all of the things that we give ourselves to, they're not going to be worth very much when the judge gets here. And so John loves us enough to say, listen, those things won't help. Only one will help. Secondly, he, he calls these people a brood of vipers, especially the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious experts. He calls them a brood of vipers. And, he, and he's juxtaposing these words, brood of vipers versus children of Abraham. And he's not just calling them snakes. You know, I... Marty and I talk about people all the time and we'll say that person's a snake in the grass. You know, somebody that you don't see coming who jumps out and bites you, right? Well, that's bad to be called a snake in the grass. But to be called a brood of viper transposed against the the uh, 
children of Abraham, it's worse. Because when, when he calls these people a brood of vipers, you know what he's telling them they are? He's telling them that they're sons and daughters of the devil. That they're sons and daughters of the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden versus the children of Abraham who are God's people. That's stern. You know? But he's getting at something here that's pretty important. The Sadducees and the Pharisees have much in common with us because we would put our ultimate trust in doing, serving, giving, our kind of religious pedigree and the the status symbols that we all seek after. You know, we know the ugly status symbols like address and car and kids' performance and those kinds of things, or, or, you know, the religious kind of performance things that we do that we give and that we serve and, and all of those things that we can trip over into very quickly kind of entrusting ourselves to those things. Jesus says that self-right, John the Baptist reiterates and says that that kind of self-righteousness, you know, qualifies us, uh, to be in the family of the serpent, right? So what I what I hope now is that you know you're uncomfortable enough and you're you're ready for this to be over and you can go eat some comfort food like the men are going to Monday night comfort food mac and cheese right isn't that what comfort food is potatoes lots of starches meat and cheese isn't that isn't that what that is so to to find our our comfort in that but what I want you to do is ask three three big questions right. So repentance, if that means a change in direction in my life, do I even want to do that? Do I even want to change? And and if I do want to change, do I want to change because I know that the pathway to life is through change? Or do I want to do it just because somebody else told me to do it or my reputation is dependent on it or, yeah. Secondly, an even bigger question is, can I even do it? After all, I've been muddling along for all these years. Is repentance even something that I can do? And then lastly, if, if, if the answer to the first two questions is, is yes, and, and, and in good faith, yes, then how do I do it? Right? Next slide. So the first thing that you have to see about this is, is that when we come to the place and we recognize that we need a change, what we, we need is a power outside of ourselves to empower us, right? And the best news in this passage is found in what many of us would take as a rebuke or an insult, and that is you brood of vipers, you know, don't, don't claim that your pedigree is the means, you know, you're a child of Abraham. God can raise up children from stones. Hallelujah. Jesus echoed that that day he marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and he said the, 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 the stones would cry out. Jesus can take quiet stones. Jesus can take dead stones and make them sing. He can take stony people like us and make us alive. He can take brood of vipers and change them into sweet, kind, powerful, fierce lovers of him and his people. 
And so, so the, the great news that we have here today is that when it comes to this issue of repentance, I have every resource that the God of the universe has at his disposal to enable me to do this. Paul wasn't kidding when he said that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in you. I mean, think about it. I mean, this is the great news that, that, that Jesus brings to us. What if we lived in a world where God required you to repent, but left you perpetually unable to do it? It's not just should you repent, but can you repent? And you can repent because the Spirit of God is alive and at work in His people, right? Now, a thing, to, a caution that we have to have here is, is that He says that we need to repent and that we need to bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. One of the things that that happens to us often, though, is we confuse the fruit of repentance with repentance itself. So the crowd is there, and and uh, in uh, in another uh, part of the gospel where they're talking about this, and they're asking the question that you're asking. They asked him, "What are we going to do <laughs> if 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 there's all this terrible stuff about fires and all that kind of stuff? What am I supposed to do about it?" Well, Jesus says to them. He answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages, right? So what Jesus or what John the Baptist is getting at here is, is this. You know, these are the things that will show the world that you've repented. These are the things that will demonstrate. This is the fruit of repentance. The fruit, repentance is not stopping your extortion. Repentance is not simply collecting no more than is authorized. Those are simply the, the evidences that something has happened, that something bigger has changed within you, right? And so, so, so what is it? What is it? then? Well, repentance itself is, first of all, simply looking to Jesus. There's one here among you. Behold the Lamb of God, him whose sandals I am not uh, worthy to carry. Because what you see here is that this gift of repentance is something that God gives to us. All of this is from him, right? And what's crazy about it is even John the Baptist himself is from God, right? John uh, 1, 6, 8 says there was a man who came from God. He came from God. He came from God. That's, this, is, this is the thing. That he didn't just show up. He just didn't decide to do this on his own. He came from God. God sent him with a message to those people and to us that the kingdom of God is at hand. And the way we prepare for that is we look to the king. We look at him. We entrust ourselves to him. There was a man who came from God. His name was John. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So what does this mean? Look to him. Well, it means this. Keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. This is not something that you drum up on your own. This is not something that that you create within yourself to do this. You cry out, Lord, I want to trust you. Help me to trust you. Lord, I want to repent. Help me to repent. Lord, I need power to do this. Would you give me the power to do it? Right? It's not coming this from the standpoint of, I know how to do this. 
I, I, I can manage this. I, I know what I'm going to do. This, this is how I'm going to, this is how I, I'm going to manage this. This is how I'm going to do this. It's not that. It's recognizing that even our repentances, our attempts at repentances need to be repented of and that only Jesus, the one who lived, died, rose again, who empowers us today is the one who can able, enable us to do this. But the great news is he loves, he loves giving the gift of repentance to people like us. Hear these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Lord God, every day we are reminded that we fall short of your glory. You are strong. We are blown about by every whim. You call for justice We play favorites and prefer man-made comfort. You are holy through and through. Our best efforts are marred by sin and cannot save us. Oh, how we need a Savior to ransom us from bondage to sin. Thank you for providing exactly what we need in Jesus. Oh, how we need continued renewal in your image. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to continue your work in your church. Forgive us our sins and lead us to rest in your grace. Amen. Believer, hear the good news. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. On the night which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. We tend to think that Jesus is attracted to the strong, the gifted, the good-looking, the popular those who have it together. And yet what Jesus, the kind of person that Jesus is attracted to is the person who in weakness recognizes uh, their weakness and cries out, Lord, help me. Give me the gift of repentance. Change me. Help me to turn around. Help me to be, uh, to be different. Would you do that in me? Give me the resources and the energy and... Uh, the love uh, to do that. Jesus finds the broken, the contrite, the needy, irresistible. That's why he gives us this bread and this cup to remind us that he identifies, that he comes close to, 
and that he gives the gift of repentance to those who realize that in and of themselves, they can't drum up this thing. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what you need to be reminded of today. That will energize and move you to be changed, to turn away from that which would kill you and move towards that which is light and life. If that's your hope today, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He invites you to, to take, to take the bread, to take the cup, and to rejoice in the gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Um, if that's, you've proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, that is the thing that you are, you've settled your heart on, then he welcomes you today. But maybe today um, you're hardened. And the question, do you even want to be changed? Don't go through the religious exercise of coming forward and taking and eating just because you think that's what you should do. But cry out for God to change you. And if you can't even do that, ask somebody else to pray for you this morning that he would do that work in your heart and life. Uh, as the elders uh, and deacons uh, come down front to assist me, let me remind you that all the bread is gluten-free. The outer ring is wine. Uh, the inner rings are grape juice.